We're in a series of sermons called the Tender Commandments. If you learn the Ten Commandments in any other way other than they're from the heart of a loving God to his children, you learn them the wrong way because loving fathers, as our Heavenly Father is, they say to their children, if they love their children, they say, don't do this and do this. Don't go here, but go there. Thou shalt, but thou shalt not. That's what love does. It protects it guides, it directs. And the Bible says you don't love your children if you don't do that for your children. So when the Heavenly Father does that for us, they're coming from the very heart of a God who loves us, who knows there's nothing down at the end of that road for us. Don't go down that road, child. I know what's down there. Don't miss the loving heart of God in all of that. If you weren't here last week, it's probably the most important message I've preached in 22 years of ministry. It's online. Uh, You can check it out if you missed last week, but I don't think in 22 years of preaching that I have preached a more important sermon than I preached last week. And so check that one out. Today is on the fourth commandment, which is the hardest commandment to interpret in New Testament times. There's no question it's a very difficult one to interpret Let me flesh that out for you. I grew up in Mayberry, basically, Maysville, Kentucky. And some of the rest of you grew up in Mayberry, too. I know you did. And it was a time of moral clarity. It was a time that we knew what was right and we knew what was wrong. We knew what was black. We knew what was white. There were very few gray areas as a young little boy growing up. What was right was what my dad told me was right. And I didn't have to guess about that. And most of us. We're that way when we grow, when we grew up, okay? You obey your parents, you eat your vegetables, and you sit still in church, man. I mean, you just did that. If you didn't sit still in church, your mama whacked you on the side of the head, okay? That's why children, that's why the teens always sit in front, right? You don't let the children sit in back. The teens sit in front so you can whack them real good if they mess up. And we grew up in that type of environment. Don't pick on your brother, okay? Stand for the national anthem and thou shalt not stick thy finger in an electric outlet. And that was what we learned. And there was moral clarity there. There was no moral ambiguity there at all. There There was no gray areas. It was black and white until you grew up and you started thinking. And you just didn't start receiving everything your parents told you. You started thinking, you started questioning, didn't you? And that's good and godly. Our boys are now questioning us. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't like it when they question, but it's proof they're growing up and thinking for themselves. And that's what happens. I can remember a time of moral ambiguity, of moral unclearness, of some gray areas came for me. I was washing My 1969 Ford Galaxy XL, man, it was a sharp ride, let me tell you. And I felt hot driving, okay? And so I was out waxing it, polishing and washing that on a Sunday afternoon, and my mom popped out of the house and told me I was desecrating the Sabbath and breaking the fourth Commandment. Now, actually, I was breaking the first commandment because it was a little G in my life. And actually, I was breaking the second commandment because it definitely was an idol in my life. 
I didn't say that to mom, she would have slapped me in the face if I said that. <laughs> mom actually didn't slap me in the face. What mom was good at was when we acted up in the back seat of the car, she reached back with those long fingernails and dug them in our legs like, ooh, that hurt. But I never had to go to therapy over it. I, I, mean, I don't feel victimized. I've never gone on Oprah Winfrey and complained about that, you know? So mom popped out and told me I was desecrating the uh, Sabbath and I was breaking the fourth commandment. And I didn't really agree with that. And so moral ambiguity, gray areas starting to come in for me. Now I believe to this day what my mom was most worried about was not me washing the car on Sunday, it's what the neighbors would think because we're man-pleasers, aren't we? We care more for the praise of man than we do for the praise of God. The fourth commandment is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It's a long commandment. I've just, I've just given the first verse of that because the fourth commandment says, do you need to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? If I read all of it, it says, you, you know, you shouldn't do any work on the, that day and your friends shouldn't do any work. The people living in your house shouldn't do any work and the people living with you shouldn't do any work and, and even your oxen shouldn't do any work. And it was a various, very serious thing for the Hebrew people. And you find the prophets in the Old Testament railing against the Hebrews because they would desecrate the Sabbath day. You see what the, what the Sabbath was. Now, first of all, the Sabbath is not, not about rest. We've made it about rest. We've interpreted it. It, it doesn't say anything about rest. You know, you need to, you need to stop working because you're tired. It doesn't say anything about it. It just says cease your labor. It doesn't say anything. You've, you've worked hard all week. You need to take a break. It doesn't say anything about that. You see, because the Sabbath was a memorial for God's people and that the Hebrew people would take a day off each week. Now, that was unheard of in, in, in surrounding countries. Now, we got a five-day work week here. That's a, that's a modern thing, friends. That's a modern thing. Now, now, some of us don't know anything about a five-day work week, but that's a modern thing. You just worked all the time. But, but it was going to be a sign, just like almost like circumcision was a sign, it was going to be a sign of God's people that they took a day and they ceased their labors. And so that's why you have prophets railing against the Hebrews and the saying things like, you are profaning the name of your God because you are desecrating the Sabbath. And that goes back to what we taught last week. You are profaning the name of your God among the nations because you are because you are desecrating the Sabbath and you are doing as you please on the Sabbath day. Basically saying you're not acting like the people of God among the nations unless you are profaning the name of the Lord your God. You see, it was a memorial. It wasn't really about rest. But if it was about rest, then I, because everybody, when they talk about the commandment, they go back to Genesis. If it was about rest, then I guess God was all tuckered out and he had to stop working in Genesis chapter one, right? God wasn't tired, okay? So it's not about rest. It's about ceasing from your labors. 
Nehemiah was a leader in the Old Testament times, and I, I could have picked out many quotes to give you an example of this. But Nehemiah was a leader in the New Testament time. He had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and, and to hopefully spark revival back among God's people. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, I think it is, Nehemiah speaks these words to the Israelite people. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing grain in and loading it on donkeys. Okay, now we, we don't get that, but this is a major league deal back in then. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Now, now remember, the Sabbath was Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6. Okay, that was when the Sabbath was. Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6. So it started Friday at 6, so that's what you read when Jesus was crucified. They had to get him off the cross quickly because it would have desecrated the Sabbath, and they could have not done the work of taking him off the cross on the Sabbath. Okay? Therefore, I warn them against selling food on that day. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing that you are doing on the Sabbath day? Now, this is just a little sliver of what I could have chosen to share with you. It's all through the prophets in the Old Testament and how they desecrated and profaned the name of the Lord by doing work on the Sabbath day. So they took it very, very seriously. It was a big deal. Verse 18, didn't your ancestors do the same things? Haven't you learned from your grandma and grandpa? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us? They, God judged us because you were desecrating the Sabbath. Haven't you learned anything about that? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Now that's just a sliver of a little bit about the fourth commandment. Can I tell you something that's interesting on the fourth commandment? Only one of the commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. The Sabbath is spoken of in the New Testament, but it's the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament. That has to mean something. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but that has to mean something. All other nine are, but the Sabbath commandment is not. I'm trying to show you, and I could go verse after verse after verse, and I don't have time to do that, to show you how the prophets spoke against the Israelites who were desecrating the Sabbath. They took it very, very seriously. It was a memorial. It was a sign that we are God's people, that we are different than the nations. The nations work all the time. We crank it down one day a week. We cease our labors one day a week. Now, the Hebrews weren't the only people that take it serious. Jewish rabbis by Jesus' time, listen to this. This is, this, is how, this is how weird people are. And they're, they're weird in this time as they were back in that time. Jewish rabbis, when Jesus came on the scene, Jewish rabbis had come up with 1,521 laws that taught you how to not to desecrate the Sabbath day. Now, you talk about a ball and chain. How, first of all, how am I even going to remember 1,521 laws? But their preachers, their rabbis, says, we're, and they did it well-meaning. They did it well-meaning. I'm trying to help you all not break the Sabbath. So here's 1,521 things that will help you not break the Sabbath. And so that's why you see things in the New Testament, like phrases like are really weird for us and don't make any sense at all for us. Like, they traveled a Sabbath day's journey. 
Now, a Sabbath day's journey was how far the rabbis decided that you could, that you could walk and it not be considered work. And I don't know what a Sabbath day's journey was. Let's say it was a mile. You couldn't walk a mile and a quarter. That was work. You desecrated the Sabbath. But you could walk whatever they decided a Sabbath day's journey was. That was 1,521 laws. They, they, they were taking this very, very serious when Jesus came on the scene, although this commandment is not repeated in the New Testament. That has to mean something. That has to mean something. Um, in the 1600s, there was a group of people in, in Scotland, um, the Puritans. They were zealous for God. They were just, they were, they were super duper saints, man. And, and they were well-meaning people. And they wanted to follow God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they had lots of rules about the Sabbath. Do you realize that there was literally a law, a civil law. You could break the law and be thrown in, in jail in, in Scotland in 1600s if you smiled on the Sabbath day. Jonathan Edwards was one of the greatest preachers of all of the 1700s. One of the greatest, still looked on today as, as, as someone that is very well respected in, um, in preaching circles. And, and we still read his sermons today. He wrote a book that's of, of um, I don't know how many, but like, let me make up a number, 97 resolutions and things that he resolved to live a good Christian life. And most of those resolutions are really, really good. There's one of his resolutions right there. Resolved never to speak anything that is ridiculous sportive, when's the last time you used that word, sportive, or matter of laughter on the Lord's day. Basically, you just couldn't have fun on the Lord's day. Now, what did that mean church was? What did that mean church was? Jonathan Edwards says, you couldn't do anything ridiculous or you couldn't even laugh on the Lord's Day. Now let's have a little audience participate, participation here, okay? The first service, who I didn't think would do very good at this because they're so quiet, because that's the way they were raised, you just couldn't say anything at church at all. And you all don't care, you all just laugh all the time and all that kind of stuff. Let's have some audience participation. What were some things that you were raised, now, not, now a lot of you in this second service weren't raised this way, I get that. But those of you that were, what were you raised that you could not do on Sunday. Let me hear you. What? Shop. Shop. Watch TV. Go out to eat. Clean the house. Somebody in the first service said do laundry. What else? Sports. Man, my dad. Now listen to this. My dad's in heaven today worshiping at the feet of Jesus. But my dad would not let me do any sportive activity on Sunday. But dad would go out to eat on Sunday, and I never could figure out that apparent. And you was letting your mom rest. That was probably it. <laughs> but he was making other people work. If dad didn't go out to eat on Sunday, nobody would have to work. And I never could understand that what I saw as hypocrisy. I never called it hypocrisy, though. So we grew up with all these things. Some of you grew up, you couldn't read the newspaper, right? Couldn't read the newspaper. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what world did you all grow up in? All kinds of things. 
that, that well-meaning people have interpreted, just like the Jewish rabbis, well-meaning people have interpreted so we would not break the fourth commandment. By the 1800s, um, in Glasgow, Scotland, the first train ran on Sunday. And those Puritans, clergymen, went nuts and they met that train at the destination and told everybody that everybody on that train is going to hell. You come into the 1900s, even to the 60s and 70s in the 1900s, and some of us remember blue laws, don't we? These people down here have no understanding what blue laws are. They think there's just something different than a yellow law or something. And I don't even know why they called them blue laws. But everything was closed on Sunday. I learned to drive in the Turflin Mall parking lot in Lexington, Kentucky on Sunday afternoon. Why? It was empty. And the only thing I had to dodge was the light poles. And at 14 years old, Dad would take me to the Turflin Mall parking lot and give me the, behind the wheel of his 68 Chevy Impala. And because I wasn't going to hurt anybody. Even as late as 1993, my last year that I was a basketball coach, even as late as 1993, in the town I was coaching in, we had no, um, we had no uh, ball games on Wednesday nights. We certainly didn't have any on Sunday mornings. But you can go out to the soccer fields right now and they're playing. We got people in this church right now that are not here today because their son or daughter's playing soccer. It's changed, friend. Better, worse, I don't know. It's just not like it was. There are still people that take it serious. They're called Seventh-day Adventists. Do you know about them? If you've ever gone to the Kettering Hospital, you've gone to a hospital run by Seventh-day Adventists, at least in name. And Seventh-day Adventists are people that believe that the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, is still valid for today. So they have church on... And they don't have Sunday school, they have Sabbath school. They're good people. They believe almost exactly like we believe up to that point. Soon I still take this seriously, not in the way that I was raised. I, I would imagine that Sue and I probably have more convictions on the Lord's Day. And by the way, you know, this is not the Sabbath anymore. It's the Lord's Day, right? And we no longer worship on the Sabbath. They worship on the Sabbath for how many thousands of years, but they worship on the Lord's Day now. Why do they worship on the Lord's Day? Because Jesus was resurrected on the Lord's Day. So this is not the Sabbath anymore. It's not right to call it the Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. And when you go through the New Testament, you hear no admonitions all the way through the New Testament. Go into the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. You see nothing about honoring the Sabbath. You, you hear them before they switch to the Lord's Day, still going to church on the Sabbath. But soon I have probably more convictions than a lot of you on Lord's Day behavior. We, we make it a different day in our home. Now, we're not legalistic about it. We're not legalistic about it. But if we don't have to get gas on Sunday, we don't get gas on Sunday. Now, if we're driving somewhere, we're not going to run out of gas, okay? We're not legalistic about it. 
And we're not going to starve to death driving to Sue's family in Wisconsin because we won't stop at McDonald's and eat, okay? We're not legalistic about it. But we think it's a different day. I don't go to Great Clips and get my hair cut on Saturday. I don't go to Walmart unless one of the kids needs some kind of medicine. Now, that's a personal conviction I have. I wouldn't dare put that on any of you. I wouldn't dare put that on any of you. You have to come to your own convictions on what represents the Lord's day. But we want to make it a different day in our home because we want our boys to know that Sunday is different because Sunday is the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Sunday's different. Christopher is, is into acting, and he's in a play in Kettering, and um, in November when they have the presentation performances of that play, two of those performances are on Sunday. And Christopher, at 14 years old, knew enough to come to us and said, Dad, are we okay with this? And we told him that because, A, it's at 1 o'clock, and he can go to the, the first or second service if he chose to do that, and also, B, because it's not the regular um, thing in our life. Like every single Sunday, you've got something to do at 1 o'clock. This is an out-of-the-ordinary thing. We're going to allow you to do that. And plus, we don't want you to let down all the people that are in the play because you have a part. So we're not legalistic about it. But we take it very seriously. My, my wife was raised in a home that while they weren't legalists at all, they were very, never ate out on Sunday. Never, ever, 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 ever. She never ate out till she met that on Sunday, till she met that old pagan Mark Atherton, I may tell you. <laughs> she never went to a movie before she met me. And I've told you before, the person who paid for her to go to the first movie was a Nazarene district superintendent. Because we were interviewing for a church, and he, he allowed us to go, he paid for us to go to the Alamo to see the IMAX. And I said, you know you're in a movie, don't you? She goes, it's not really a movie. I said, it's a movie. <laughs> And a Nazarene DS paid for us to go. Is Sue in here? And you know what I saw her doing last Sunday? Shh, don't tell her this. She was watering her flowers. She's come a long way, baby. <laughs> Stick with me, you'll see the light. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we still have convictions on the Lord's Day, but we're not legalistic about it. It's not like if I do that, I'm going to go to hell. And I don't know if that's the way people intended to teach me about it, but that's the way I received it. Maybe that wasn't the way they intended to teach me about it. But it's the way that I received it. Jesus dealt with this type of thinking when he arrived on earth. 
And so there's all kinds of stories. I think it appears in three of the Gospels of Jesus walking around with his disciples and his disciples, this was a Sabbath day, and his disciples were picking grain and eating it and the Pharisees went ballistic because they were harvesting grain. That's work. They also went ballistic when Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. Now think of this, friends. Think of this. You should wait, Jesus, one more day to heal that person. Just just think how sinful human beings can be. When we take a marvelous gift that God has given us, a day that we can crank it down and turn it into something we have to obey. And we're in ball and chain, and I can't even remember all the 1,521 laws. In Mark chapter 2 is when those, where those two stories are. And, and, and Jesus basically said to them, that, and the Pharisees were indignant on Jesus' interpretation of the fourth commandment. They were indignant, the Bible says. And Jesus said, the, the Sabbath was made for you all. It was a gift that God gave to you all. You all weren't made for the Sabbath. You all weren't made to bow down to an idol of the Sabbath. You all weren't made to be in ball and chain to 1,521 laws of what you can and cannot do on the Lord's day. And they were indignant. Jesus said, listen, don't be indignant about my interpretation. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Don't you criticize my interpretation of the fourth commandment. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So how is it that we are supposed to interpret the fourth commandment today for us New Testament Christians? Well, I guess we could be like Seventh-day Adventists if we wanted to. And every single person has the right to go to a Seventh-day Adventist church and follow Sabbath-keeping the way they do. Uh, That's one way it could get worked out. It could also get worked out where it's just... uh, The the theological word is antinomianism. Anti means against, nomos means law, against the law. There's just no law anymore, and you can do whatever you want to, and you can just do whatever, you know, it doesn't make any difference. That was ridiculous back then, and let's just eat, drink, and be merry on any day of the week. I guess you could interpret it that way if you choose to do that. Or I guess you could see that it's the Lord's day. It's not the Sabbath anymore. And while we're not bound to legalistic balls and chains and 1,521 laws, it's still the Lord's day. It's a different day. It's not like Friday. It's not like Thursday. And however your heart lends to you to honoring the Lord's day, you try to honor it some way. And you'll disagree with me, and I'll disagree with you, and you'll disagree with her, and she'll disagree with him, and and that's okay. But you'll think it through, and you just won't go along with the world because, well, Walmart's open. I guess we should go. 
you think it, you think through because you're a thinking person. And you just don't go around with every whim of the world and conform to the pattern of this world. You think. And you think how the best to teach your children, and for you, obviously, to honor the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And one way you obviously do that is you're here in this church today. I've told you three times already that this commandment is not repeated in the New Testament. Why would that be? Why would all nine other commandments be repeated and this one not? In fact, Colossians chapter 2, I think it's verse 16 and 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you. Paul talks about this a lot. Don't let people judge you. Don't let your nosy little neighbor judge you. Don't let the person that sits on this side of the church judge you. Don't let them throw their nose up at you and think they're a better Christian than you are. Don't you dare do that. Paul talks about that a lot. He says, you stand your ground. Don't let that nosy neighbor judge you. Don't let Nancy Nazarene over there judge you. Paul talks about that a lot. He said, don't let them judge you by what you eat or what you drink. Elsewhere, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not about eat and drink. It's about love and righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. It's not about eat and drink. Come on. Don't let them judge you about what you eat and drink or with regard to religious festival. You didn't attend the revival all five nights. I was there all five nights. My small group meets every Sunday night instead of every other Sunday night. Don't let people judge you, Paul says. Don't let Nancy Nazarene judge you about what you eat or drink or about religious festivals or whatever in the world a new moon celebration is. I can't tell you that sounds pretty pagan to me, but I don't know what it is. Or a Sabbath Paul says, don't let people judge you about Sabbath day. Don't let people judge you about the Sabbath day. Listen, listen, listen. They were a shadow of the things to come. But the reality has come in the person of Jesus Christ. This is a profound truth, not because who's preaching it, it's just because of the truth of this, friends. They were shadows of things to come. The reality, however, is in Jesus Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his work. Now, again, he wasn't tuckered out. So this is not about, you're going to get stressed out, man, have a heart attack. You better rest one day of the week. It's not about that. It was never about that. You'll never see that written about in the Old Testament. And you'll hear preachers today preaching this. Today, other preachers are preaching this. Well, there's a principle of work and rest, and you've got to really take care of your body, and da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, but that's just not the Bible. I mean, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. You need to take care of your body, but they're just not preaching the Bible. They're preaching modern-day stuff. 
They're just preaching wisdom of the day. And, it, and maybe it's probably true. But it's just not, they're not preaching you the Bible. And Hebrews, the writer continues. The writer continues. Thank you. There remains, oh, this is some of the most profound stuff in all of Scripture, friends. Can you grab this? Tighten your seatbelts here and grab this now. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is New Testament stuff. This is not Old Testament. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. So God wasn't tired, so it's not that we're tired. Because they're, they're, they're comparing God's rest to our rest. It's a ceasing from labor, not a rest because I'm tuckered out. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. The scripture continues. So that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience, speaking of Old Testament people. Can I tell you something, people? Jesus is your Sabbath. Why is it not mentioned in the New Testament? Because the reality has come. Jesus is your Sabbath, and you rest in him. You cease from your labor. You cease from your self-righteousness. You cease from trying to please God by your works. You cease from trying to get to heaven on any good thing that you've done, and you rest in the most awesome work that was ever done, and that was the work on the cross. You rest in another person's work. And when Jesus did that work, the book of Hebrews also says that he sat down at the right hand of God and there were to be no other sacrifices. No other work needed to be done. No other bulls needed to be killed. No other goats needed to be slain because the work was finished. He's your rest, friends. Now that's good preaching, friends. He's your rest. You cease from striving in your labor and trying to somehow please God with your own righteousness and trust in what has been done for you. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's a gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus is your Sabbath. He's your rest. You ceased your laboring for God's approval and trust and depend on what he has done for you. If you don't, you're bound for hell because you're saving yourself. And when you save yourself, you slap Jesus right in the face. And you make his work on the cross in vain, Galatians 2, 20, 21. Are you resting in Jesus? Amid, 
amid going here to soccer and going here to piano lessons and going here to swimming lessons and getting the kids here and getting the kids here and so busy you do an online order at Chipotle and munch it down real quick and go somewhere else. In the midst of all of the busyness of your day, do you rest in Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? Even among the chaos and the busyness of the day, your rest can be found in your Sabbath, the Lord Jesus Christ. Five years ago, six years ago, I was accused of sexual impropriety by someone in this church. I immediately called a board meeting, called the board together, told them what, what came up and appointed three people to investigate. I knew I was in this. I knew I hadn't done a thing. And I'm, I invited, I, I'm pointing three people to investigate this, talk to the person, talk to the people around this situation, because I don't want you... One of the board members says, well, Mark, we believe you. We'll take your word for it. No, don't you dare do that. Because there'll be people in that church that won't take your word for it. You investigate so you can tell everybody my name is clear. And so they investigated and they did their work. And by that time, the person that accused me wrote a letter and said it made it all up and da-da-da-da-da. The night I was accused, and after that board meeting, after I was accused of sexual impropriety, you know what me and the boys did? We went to Kings Island. And why can I go to Kings Island and ride the racer after I've been accused of sexual impropriety? Because I rest in Jesus, friends. He's got my back. Oh, well, well, I got to call here, and I got to get this meeting, and I got to go over here, and I got to do this. This is my career. This is my integrity. This is my family. This is my livelihood. We were on the racer, man. <laughs> because I knew that even by some stretch of the imagination, if the board fired me because of something I hadn't done, Jesus had my back. He'll never let the righteous be forsaken. But we were here, and I were here, and how am I going to take care of that? And how, and how, and what if she goes in? Why, why, why? And Jesus is my rest. He's my Sabbath. Is he yours? Oh, I know you come to church, and I know you belong to the church, and I know you've been coming to church for 40 or 50 years, but some of you are still depending on your own righteousness. And you spit at Jesus and what he did on the cross because you're trying to save yourself. Rest in him. My hope is built on nothing less. Oh, we sing this song, but do we really believe it? My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Do we really believe that? When he shall come in trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. 
Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, faultless to stand before the throne. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do you know you can stand faultless in front of God? Not on your own righteousness, but in him. In him. Now, that's the gospel, friends. And some of you don't believe it because it goes against the American way that nobody ever gives you a free gift and you just better pull yourself up by the bootstraps and earn everything you got in this world. The gospel is upside down of the ways of the world. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, I pray for people here today that are still trying to be good enough. That didn't come in here today to celebrate what you've done for them. But they come in here today because they thought you would be mad at them if, you, if they didn't. Father, would they hear the gospel? Because I believe when they truly hear it and apply it to their hearts, their lives will be changed forever. Move on us on this time. There are no, those that need to pray at the altar. Help us as we come to the table. May we realize what the bread and the cup truly mean. In Jesus' name, amen.